Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. If you if you came in late, I I, I warned uh, I warned that's a silly word. <laughs> Give everybody a heads up. We're going to be talking about sexual sin today, and um, that's what Proverbs five through seven. A lot of it uh, deals with um, a, a few things. I, I think we need to just kind of have on our radar before we dive into the text this morning. Um, one of them, first thing I'd say is if you um, maybe. Actually, let me start off with a story. I remember in college, I had a, uh, a guest speaker. A guest speaker came and spoke at our Bible college, Junior Hill. Anybody remember the name Junior Hill? Famous preacher. Maybe it was more of an East Coast thing. No one. Wow. One. Yes. Okay. Um, he came. He was in his 80s. He came and spoke uh, at our Bible college, and he said, "You know, people have asked me before, when when does sexual temptation end? When does it stop?" And he said, "Well." I can't tell you because it hasn't stopped yet. <laughs> and he, was, he was in his 80s, which we appreciated his honesty. That said, I will say, if maybe you are saying, man, this is not a sin I struggle with, like I've, I've, I've matured past this or whatever, I would, I would encourage you or challenge you. I know that you care about people and those that you care about, be they your children or grandchildren, this is an issue for them. And so I would encourage you to, to lean in, even if you feel like you've, you've grown past this. But I'll also caution you that thinking you've grown past the sin is just a dangerous place to be. So I uh, encourage you to walk in humility there. Okay, that said, uh, a few things just kind of uh, pregame for this passage. One, let's not act like sexual sin is kind of on, on this category of its own. Is sexual sin serious? Yes, for sure. Not a trick question, no doubt. But I think we, we do ourselves a disservice and we confuse people when we act like, well, you know, there's pride and there's gossip, but then there's, then there's sexual sin and you're worse if you do that. Sin is sin, amen? It's serious, but we need to also not uh, ostracize people who have struggled with this. And to be honest, most of us have struggled with this at some point in our lives. Another thing, let's not act like this is only a temptation or a struggle for men. The, the, the facts, the, the research is clear. This is also a struggle for women as well. I would also say, um, just to, for clarity's sake, when I, I'm going to use the, the term sexual sin a lot. And, and in that, I'm meaning the, every kind of sexual sin, be it pornography, be it, be it an affair, be it um, just lusting after someone, whatever it may be. I had a lady catch me after the last service and she was like, what about that? And I was like, oh yeah, for sure. I just like, I didn't want to spend the whole hour, not an hour, 30 minutes, 35 minutes. Like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> I didn't want to spend the whole time just listing sins. Are you with me? So sexual sin, if you think, think that qualifies as sexual sin, it probably does. Like, If you have to ask, it probably does, okay? So that said, um, two more quick little things of kind of pregame. One would be, Let's also remember that sex 
between a man and a woman, emphasis man and a woman, and a marriage relationship is a gift from God. Like just to be super lame, I often joke when I do premarital counseling, I tell couples that because God created sex, he is the sexpert. So yeah, it's a bad joke, I know, sorry. I won't do any more, I promise. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's a gift from God. Like for example, chapter five, uh, verse 18, he says, let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. It, I don't know if you know this. Hopefully you do. God devoted a whole book, the Song of Solomon, to the issues of sex and romance. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Atasca, Texas, like 13, 14 years ago, I told the youth group that and all the seventh grade boys immediately start turning to like, find Song of Solomon because they didn't know that. Yeah, it, it's a gift from God, but like most good things, it has boundaries, right? Lots of good things have boundaries. So just a quick example, like um, I don't want to think about fire because it's so hot right now, but we'll think about a fireplace. A fire in the fireplace is good, Right? Especially, I mean, not today, but when it's, when it's 30 degrees outside, it, it's warming, it can be energizing, it's cozy, it's comforting. But if you take that fire out of the fireplace, out of the boundaries, you burn your house down, right? It's dangerous. I think about a pool. A pool is amazing. It's refreshing. You know, a pool has boundaries. You collapse those boundaries, then you just have a muddy yard. Or you, you, you use the pool as it wasn't intended to, like toss a jet ski in there, like it's not gonna go well, right? It has boundaries. Sex is like that. It's a gift from God. It's a good thing between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship, but it has boundaries. Now, that said, what I wanna do this morning is look at why you should fight sexual temptation. And just like, hopefully this is helpful to parents and, and grandparents uh, from, this, hopefully this should just be obvious, but I've also just seen it proven working with students for so long. It's good to tell your, your kid, your grandkid, whoever, don't. Like, don't have sex before marriage, it's wrong. That's good. But I'm just telling you, if you only tell them don't and don't tell them why, they're going to do. You tracking with me? Like, just telling people don't do something actually makes them want to do it more, right? <laughs> I got some amens on that one. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, you got to give them why. And here's the cool thing about the Bible. The Bible doesn't just say don't, which if it did, that would be enough because it's God's word. But because God loves us and he knows how we struggle, he doesn't just say don't. He also tells us why. Why should you fight sexual temptation? Why should you fight sexual sin? Now, the New Testament helps us have this perspective. It says a lot of things about sexual sin, but just to cover one simple one, gives us perspective that because we are in Christ, behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. We're a new creation in Christ. So because of that, because we are in Christ, we want to be like him and he's transformed us. Because of that, we should walk in purity. We should walk in holiness. That's a good enough reason. Absolutely. What's cool about Proverbs is it gives us just some really simple, practical everyday life reasons why you should fight sexual sin. You with me? All right, let's dive in to chapter five of Proverbs, verse one. 
My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion. In your lips, safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps head straight for Sheol. The, the idea is the grave for the place of the dead. She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So now, sons, listen to me and don't turn away from the words from my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't know, excuse me, don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed and you will say, how I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. Now, if you would flip over to... Uh, Verse 20 of chapter five. Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes and he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there's no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. Now jump down to chapter six, verse 25. <clears throat> don't lust in your heart for her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. For a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another man goes after a precious life. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? So it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People don't despise the thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. Still, if caught, he must pay seven times as much. He must give up all the wealth in his house. The one who commits adultery lacks sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. He will get a beating and dishonor, and his disgrace will never be removed. For jealousy enrages a husband, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge." He will not be appeased by anything or be persuaded by lavish bribes. Now, one more, uh, chapter seven, verse six, he kind of tells this in story form. Chapter seven, verse six. At the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Crossing the street near her corner, he strolled down the road to her house. At twilight, in the evening, in the dark of night, a woman came to him dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. She is loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the square, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, I've made fellowship offerings. Today I've fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I've found you. I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of lovemaking until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. My husband isn't even home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of silver with him, and he will come home at the time of the full moon. 
She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. You know, the text is so abundantly clear. I I feel like we could just stop and you would get the point, right? Like, point made. You're not so lucky this morning. (laughs) We're not done. But yeah, the text is just abundantly clear. What I want to try to do is, there's there's a lot there. There's so many good points being made. But if we could just kind of synthesize, kind of coming down to just two simple things. If we could put some handles on all of this truth that we could walk out with, two simple things we see in this text of why we should fight sexual temptation. Number one, sexual sin is a trap. It's a trap. Like, uh, just remember, Satan is the father of lies. If his lips are moving, he lie, lie, lie. Right? That's all he does. It's all he can do. So that's the nature of a trap is to promise a lot, lure you in, and then actually hurt you. That's why he gives the, <clears throat> the imagery there at the end, right? Of He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. When you, guy or girl, when you go into sexual temptation, sexual sin, it's promising a lot, but it's actually trying to harm you. Satan came to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. That's what he does. That's what he's out for. Look, look at the nature, <clears throat> how um, explicit, how clear the nature of this trap is. Look back at 5, verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3 where he says, though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil. So she looks good. She sounds good. In the end, she's as bitter as wormwood. Now, if you're like me, there's, there's several things in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, where you're reading it and you think you understand it because of context, but in the end, I'm like, when I, like when I went to preach this, I was like, I don't actually know what wormwood is. So I looked it up. Wormwood common in the Middle East, particularly Israel. Wormwood, if you're many, not, not every plant of wormwood you come across, but many of them, they're going to have these beautiful flowers on them. The ones I looked at have these little like baby-like yellow flowers all over the plants. Beautiful. But if you were to use it to cook with or take a bite out of the plant, it's terribly bitter. It's known as being repulsive if you actually get a hold of it. Like, there is someone that does like wormwood is goats. Goats like wormwood. And that, where the name comes from is they, uh, I think maybe even still today, it's kind of a folk remedy of if you have intestinal worms, they'll give you wormwood as hopefully to cure up what's going on in your stomach. The, the point he's making is, is it's a metaphor, right? Just like the wormwood plant. It's beautiful, it's pretty, but if you get a taste of it, Whoa, that was deceptive. False advertising. (laughs) That's what happens with sexual sin. It's a trap. And it says in in reality, the end of verse four, she's as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps head straight for Sheol. 
She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. It is a trap. Look at, look at uh, verse 22 of chapter five. Still kind of want to ring this out for all it's worth, this idea of it's a trap. Verse 22, a wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become entangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. Often when people pursue sexual sin, what I mean is like, like give into it or look up pornography or whatever, they think I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm living in freedom, right? Or I'm sowing my wild oats. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing what I want. But in reality, you're not building freedom. You're building your own prison. You're wrapping yourself up in sin. Like sin is so terribly, excuse all sin, but particularly sexual sin is so terribly self-destructive. Many have said sin will take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Absolutely. You know, think about the idea of the trap and even the imagery that he gives in, in chapter seven of uh, a bird darting into a snare, a deer bounding toward a trap. <clears throat> Satan doesn't mind giving you a little bit of pleasure if he can harm you with a lot of pain, right? That's the nature of a trap. Here's, here's this little bit of good time, entice you, but it's really just to get you. It's just a trap. Sexual sin is nothing but a trap. Second reason why you should fight. By the way, there's more than two, but we'll keep things simple. Number two, sexual sin is a sure way to wreck your life. I, 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 wanna, I don't want to pull the punch there, but I do want to say, I don't think this is teaching, the text is teaching that you, you have one mess up related to some sexual sin, like meaning like you, you, you look at someone at the store inappropriately or whatever. Like, I'm not saying, oh, your life is surely a wreck now. But the reality is if you, the more you turn towards sexual sin, the more you embrace it, you can be sure it will wreck your life. And I would say, the reality is, yes, just one mess up could surely wreck your life. Like, I love what my professor used to tell us. The best and quickest way and most sure way to ruin and destroy everything you love is to have an affair. Not, I'm not in any way casting shame on those who have been down that road. But I think most would agree that's a reality. There's truth to that. It will wreck everything you love. He says in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, at the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed and you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart despised correction. Then to verse 14, he says, I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. So even just from those few verses, it wrecks your physical life, like, like bodily, it's gonna cause you harm and pain and maybe disease, but it's also gonna ruin your reputation. It's gonna wreck your life. Then uh, flip over to, to chapter six, verse 26. I know we've looked at some of these, but I want to help you tie the actual verses to these ideas. If you're into uh, business and cost benefit analysis, he says, for a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another man goes after a precious life. The idea is uh, the entry fee to sexual sin is really cheap. 
Because Satan wants to get you into sexual sin, but it will cost you your life. So it seems like it's maybe a good deal. No, it's a terrible deal because it will end up costing you everything, which will wreck you. Verse 27 through 28, I love this, this clear imagery of, can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walking on burning coals, can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? It's like you today, if you grill out some burgers after church and you go out to that charcoal grill when you're done and you scoop up that charcoal and put it up to your chest, ow, <laughs> it's gonna hurt, it's gonna leave a mark. And that's what sexual sin, it, it's a sure thing. It is destructive. It will leave a mark, so to speak. Verse 32 of 6, he says, the one who commits adultery lacks sense. Whoever does so destroys himself emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. It's a way to destroy yourself. Even the end of verse, excuse me, of chapter 7, I want to read these last two verses of chapter 20, sorry, of chapter 7. Verse 26 says, for she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Saying, don't be confused. Don't miss it. You mess around with sexual sin, it'll mess you up. It's going to wreck you. It's not worth it. It's a trap. It'll wreck you. That's why John Owen, Puritan, pastor, theologian, said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You can be getting after it and, and walking in holiness and purity and pursuing Jesus or sin's going to be pursuing and chasing, hurting you. Be killing it. Be active and fighting against it. So, uh, we know we have two simple reasons why. By the way, actually, I'll save that. Sorry. Time myself out there for a second. <laughs> we have two reasons why. So how? How do you fight sexual sin? Like, if you want to, how do you do it? I, I want to, I know you see seven things on your sheet. I promise I'll, I'll, I'll work through them quickly. <laughs> But I want to say this before we dive into those seven things. And we're still going to be pointing back to the text, I promise. But remember, fighting sin, any sin, is not about a destination. It's about a daily victory. So even if you're sitting there, you're like, oh, man, I'm good. I, I, it's not my sin anymore. Okay, like, that's good. But it's really about daily victory. Like, you're never, we're never really there until we're there in heaven, right? Like, always room to grow. So seven things to really work on daily. And the first two are more targeted at uh, kids, students, young folks, okay? But we can all still lean in. Y'all with me? That wasn't convincing, but okay. <laughs> Number one, this is crazy. You've never heard this in your entire life. Number one, drum roll, listen to your parents, Listen to your parents. Like, I'm going to most importantly read from the Bible in a second. But even like students, I would tell you, I got to work with students. I guess if you still consider that I am kind of in some ways now for 15 years. And I've never met a parent 
in a church that was pursuing Jesus that didn't want the best for their kid. They love you. When they put restrictions and, and guidelines in your life, it's because they love you. And just tell you a secret, it's because they've been there too and probably made similar mistakes. Right? Learn from their experience because they're trying to help you. They're trying to protect you. It's not because they're just the boring police. No, they love you. Look at um, chapter 6, verse 20. It says, my son, keep your father's command and don't reject your mother's teaching. Always bind them to your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk here and there, they will guide you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you wake up, they will talk to you. For a command is a lamp. Teaching is a light. And corrective discipline is the way to life. They will protect you from an evil woman, from the flattering tongue of the wayward woman. Listen to your parents. When your parents ask to look at your phone and scroll through some things to see what you've been doing and texting, don't be a little jerk. <laughs> Tell them, thank you. One, you, your parent might die and go to heaven if you tell them thank you when they do that. So just be ready, like have 911 on dial, right? But like, like they, they're doing that because they love you. But parents and grandparents, you know what this passage assumes and like implies? That we're having conversations with our kids. I, don't, I can't remember if I said this earlier or not, but just we'll say it again. If we don't talk about the things that we're seeing and encountering in our world, your, your, our kids either think we agree or that we don't care. You got to lean in. You got to have the tough conversations. You got you to talk to them. I'll just be honest. Like when I preached this sermon in the venue a few weeks back, nobody was upset, but I had a few parents that were uh, frustrated. They didn't give a he- get a heads up which I understand that's why I started the service by, uh, by giving you a, fair, a warning. But I would also tell you, man, I don't think you can start. Most parents wait too late. I'll put it that way. Y'all with me? Don't wait too late to have these conversations because I promise your kids are having conversations. Okay, we got to keep going. Okay. Number two, still kind of directed at kiddos, but really for everybody. Number two, quit asking how far is too far. Quit asking how far is too far. So just to give a little metaphor here, um, let's pretend this is the line of holiness, right? This is God's law of walking in purity, right? And I say, well, how far is too far? I want to get right up here because I don't want to miss out on any good kissing, right? Like, just keeping it real in here, okay? You laugh because you've been there. You're right up on the line. Now, let's kind of lose the, the kissing metaphor for a second. If, if this is the line, I, I'm right on it. And Jerry Newman, our worship pastor, walks out and tries to pull me off of this. I know I'm a big guy. It's going to be hard for him. <laughs> but could he pull me off of this? Oh, yeah. No big deal. If I run up to the top of the choir loft and anchor down up there, he might can still get me, but by golly, I'm, I'm going to be scrappy, right? <laughs> That's a long ways to go. Nowhere in Scripture is this idea of, you know what? God gave us these commands so we can just lie right up on the edge. No, he, run away from them. 
It's not how, how far can I go? It's how close can I walk with the Lord? How much can I pursue holiness and, and, and run towards him? I love what my parents used to tell me when I was in high school and college and starting to date and said, they would say, Brennan, run towards Jesus as fast as you can. And every now and then look around and see who's running to <laughs> or running beside you. And I think same thing with, with, with purity. Run towards Jesus. Get off of the line. Quit asking how far is too far. Number three, put up guardrails. Put up guardrails. So the imagery there of like driving a car, you got a guardrail to keep you out of the ditch. Or if you're going bowling, you put up the bumpers to keep the, the ball out of the gutter. No shame in that, right? But it's, it's a safety measure to, to help you stay on track. I think about what he said in chapter 5, verse 7, or really verse 8. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. So he's saying there's a guardrail and, and say, I'm not even going to go over there. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my distance, my distance. I'm just going to stay away completely. That's a guardrail. It's a safety measure. Now, I would encourage you, even if you don't struggle with this, I would encourage you to have some sort of internet filter or internet accountability software. There's so many things. You can literally Google internet uh, filter software, whatever. You're, you're going to find good resources out there. Covenant Eyes is a great resource. I would encourage you, have an accountability partner that you can talk to somebody about, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's, here's some crazy thoughts I have. I need to get these off my chest. And would you pray for me? Like, set up guardrails. Number four, cling to God's word. Cling to God's word. Chapter Seven verses one through five says, obey my words, treasure my commands, keep my commands and live and guard my instructions as you would the pupil of your eye. Tie them to your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your relative that will keep you from a forbidden woman, a wayward woman with her flattering talk. Saying, chain yourself to God's word or lust will put you in chains. Cling to God's word. Thomas Chalmers, this Puritan who said, he asked the question, how do you dislodge something from the human heart? You replace it with something more beautiful. You get sexual temptation, struggles going on in your heart and mind. Just thinking, don't think about it, don't do it. It's not going to help a whole lot. No, replace it with God's word. Let it point you to the loving arms of Jesus. Number five, invest in your spouse. Invest in your spouse. What I mean by that is keep it fun, flirty, and affectionate. Just put your arm around your wife. Good move. That was appropriate. That was good. I like that. <laughs> right on cue, man. <laughs> I like it. That was good. Isn't it, okay, I've only been married 11 years, but isn't it sadly true that the longer you're married, those, few, those three words become more difficult, fun, flirty, affectionate. Some of you, you you've like been able to maintain that for years and years and years. And like, that's why I need to have cross-generational ministry because you, you can teach us some things. You have to work at keeping things fun and flirty and affectionate. That looks different for every couple, but I think you've got to have those three things. Dave Carter, uh, he spent his life work, C-A-R-D-E-R, -E Carter, spent his life work studying the anatomy of, 
affairs. And often he studied these affairs within the Christian community. And what he found, and I think it was 95% or more, is in the 95% range, 95% of couples he talked with that had affairs, there was one of these three things missing. There was a void, a lacking in one of these three things. Affection, admiration, or affirmation. Those are so ingrained into who we are as humans that if you're missing that in your marriage, you're going to be more apt to go find it somewhere else. So what's he tell couples? Invest in your spouse. Affirm each other. Admire each other. Show affection. It takes work. But one, it'll help your marriage thrive and it'll keep you out of the chains of sexual sin. Two more. Number six. This is very specific, I know, but it is utilize the Overcome Porn app. This is an app that you can get uh, if you have a smartphone. If you're not into that, that's okay, no worries. But if you have a smartphone, you can get it. I have given this app to so many young men and women, and it's been so helpful for them. It's a 40-day um, like plan, so to speak, that helps you have a biblical understanding of why you should fight sexual sin and helps you walk out of that. And I would tell you, if you're like, man, that's not my struggle. I would tell you, it is worth getting the app and walking through it just to have some more tools in your tool belt. So when you're talking to someone who is struggling with this, a fam, family member or a friend, you can talk biblically about the issue rather than just saying, don't do it, that's bad. That's true, it is, it's bad, they shouldn't do it. But that's not real helpful, is it? I'd encourage you to check out the app. I think it's like $5, $3, like, I, man, I, I personally, not Southcrest, I personally will pay your app if you can't afford it and want it. Seriously, like, man, I want you to get some help if you're struggling with pornography. Number seven, last one, we'll, we'll land the plane here. Number seven, some of y'all are like, I'm so ready for this to be over. <laughs> Number seven, embrace the grace and power of God. How do you fight sexual sin? You embrace the grace and the power of God. As long as your fight against sin is about you, sin will have power over you. It can't be about you. It's about what Christ has done. The best place to fight sexual sin is to fight from your father's arms, the grace and mercy of God. Makes me think, sexual sin often makes me think about what the prodigal son must have felt. Do you remember that story? Told his dad, hey, I want, I basically wish you were dead. I want what I would get when you die. So just give me that. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go do my thing. Goes to far city, parties it up, lives it up. And just like no surprise, like the Bible says, he wrecks his life makes a mess of it, loses everything. So bad that he ends up living in a pigsty, a pig pen. Lost everything, he's hopeless. He's hoping he can eat what the pigs eat, so he has literally nothing. He stinks, he looks gross. And as he's sitting there, he thinks, huh, maybe, maybe if I go back to my dad, like, maybe I can't have like son status, but maybe I can at least go be a servant. Maybe it accept, maybe, even if it doesn't acknowledge me, maybe I could at least like, just go work at his house. Maybe I'll get some crumbs there. So he gets out of the pig pen 
And he goes back to his father's house. And what does it say? When his father saw him still a long ways off, he didn't say, told you. Made a mess of your life. No, it says the father saw him, had, was filled with compassion, and ran to him and embraced him in his arm. And think about that. Smelly, gross, nasty, and he still embraced him. Friend, if you are struggling with sexual sin, as gross and nasty as you may feel, because of Jesus Christ, God the Father wraps you in his loving embrace. If you know Jesus. It's not because your sin's not that bad. It's okay, get over here. No, it's because he bled and died for your sins on the cross so he could show you the love and grace of God. The best place to fight, the only successful place to fight sexual sin is from the loving embrace of your father. Embrace the grace and the power of God. See, Jesus bled and died for my sin and for your sin. And three days later, he rose again, conquering death. And friends, if Jesus can conquer death, he can conquer any depth of sin. No matter how deep you are in your sin, there is hope for you because of the power of Jesus Christ. We don't fight as victims. We fight our sin as victors because of Jesus Christ. So friend, will you fight? Will you listen to your parents? Will you quit asking, how far is too far? Will you put up guardrails? Will you cling to God's word? Will you invest in your spouse? Will you embrace the grace and the power of God? If you will look to Jesus, there is hope no matter where you're at. In just a minute, we're going to sing and we're going to have a time to respond. There'll be some gentlemen down front. Maybe you'd like to turn to Jesus for salvation. You realize that he bled and died to pay the price for your sins. These men down here would love to talk with you, pray with you about what it means to, to trust in Jesus, to, for the first time, embrace the grace and power of God. But if you're a believer, I'm going to ask you as we sing in just a minute to just consider, maybe is there one of those seven things that you need to do to begin to fight a little more? All of us need to embrace the grace and power of God, but maybe there's another one of those you would say, hey, I need to lean into that to grow, to fight. Be amazed what God would do when you just come trembling to his arms. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. And then as soon as I say amen, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to respond. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church, these sweet, amazing folks that are not afraid to talk about tough issues. But would you draw us to yourself right now? For those that don't know you, God, would you save them? Would they respond to you for salvation by turning from their sins and turning to you, believing in your life, death, and resurrection and calling on you to be their Lord. God, would you help believers to fight sexual sin? Lord, would you maybe help us to uh, encourage those who are in this fight, that we would come alongside them and, and be a friend to them? Lord, would you help all of us to walk in the grace and the power of God? Well, I know you, you could have done some things this morning that were totally not on my radar. I spoke to people in ways that I have no clue about. So God, whatever that is, would you speak to them about that? Maybe it's about baptism or joining the church or whatever. God, would you, would you just give them boldness and confidence? God, we love you. And I pray that we would just respond boldly as we sing right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.